From Kate and Meghan's best looks in 2023 to the finale of The Crown, we look back on a historic year for the royal family. I'm Jack Royston, Newsweek's Chief Royal Correspondent, and this is Newsweek's Royal Report. Hello, listeners, and welcome to the show to celebrity stylist Miranda Holder. Thank you very much. Lovely to be here. Yeah, thank you for joining me. First of all, most importantly, how has your year been? Have you have you enjoyed 2023? <laughs> it's been an interesting one. For a start, it's flown past. I've never known a year to be quite so quick. Um, and some quite exciting highs and lows. I've certainly enjoyed watching the royal family sort of take their next steps into their their next um, era, really, following Queen Elizabeth and her sad departure the year before. Um, so it's been very, very, very busy, and the royals are keeping me very occupied indeed. <laughs> yes, exactly, and long may it continue. Um, now, I wanted to ask you, first of all, about your your favourite royal outfit to 2023, but just before we get into that, a little bit on some recent stuff that's been happening. Um, did you see Kate and William's Christmas card? I did. What did you think? <laughs> that was a short answer. Because, <laughs> uh, I, I'm going to be honest, Jack. It's it's not my favourite. Okay, that's um, interesting. It was it was interesting. I mean, I adore the Waleses, and anyone that that will watch my you know my uh, TikTok or my YouTube will know that. And I think. Kate is just so fascinating to watch because she really has become the poster girl of the firm, um, particularly in this last year. I think mm. she's in a new era. We might talk about that later. Um, and she really is coming into her own as she takes those steps into nearer to being the queen herself or a queen herself one day. Um, but this one, very different in tone and feel. I think from previous Christmas cards, the sort of black and white sepia tone um, was quite interesting. It felt very held back. It felt a little bit austere. Mm. It was obviously sympathetic to this cost of living crisis that we have going on at the moment and perhaps more in line with Charles's vision of a more modern, streamlined monarchy. Um, I thought it was a beautiful picture of them all. Um, a bit of a shame and a, a gaff that little Louis was missing a couple of fingers there. <laughs> I think that was a little bit unfortunate. Um, I, I loved how they all looked and posed, but I just, I didn't love the background. It was mm. a very old-fashioned sort of photographic diorama background that felt well, very reminiscent of times gone by, you know, really quite period, actually. And just the lack of colour as well. I, I would have loved to have seen a bit more vibrancy. I mean, the Waleses are so fabulous at colour coordinating their outfits, usually. They really are at the forefront of that. And I love seeing them all stepping out. You know, usually uh, Kate and Charlotte are in similar colours. And then William's got a coordinating tie on. And, you know, Louis and George sort of fit in as well with their little shorts and, and whatnot. And it's a beautiful picture. They're gorgeous, really attractive, lovely, happy, healthy family and a great role model for everyone across the UK in so many ways. Um, I just think they really could have done more with it. Yeah, some people compared it to a kind of photo you might get done at the mall or um, it reminded me also of those kind of school photos, which I think are still actually done that way. Yes. You know, the oh, backgrounds yes, those awful backgrounds again. <laughs> right. <laughs> but the one thing that did stand out to me as well is that I think, and I was trying to remember, that this might be the first time that I've actually spent more time talking about the kids than Kate from a fashion point of view. Because obviously we've talked about 
the kids and their fashion before um, many times. But the I thought Prince George looked incredibly sharp. And also people spent a lot of time talking about Princess Charlotte's kind of laid back look with jeans and, and uh, canvas yes. shoes. Yes, it's interesting, isn't it? I was reflecting on that myself. First of all, haven't they all grown and don't they all look lovely and they're doing well? And, you know, I think as a nation, we're all very fond of those children because just a little bit like as it alluded to in the final episode of The Crown, which I can't wait to talk about, by the way, because it made me sob. Um, The Queen really was in so many ways our mother, another mother, you know, the mother of the nation. I think that these children, we've all grown very fond of in a similar way. They're, they're not our children, but we feel like they are some sort of family for the UK. And they've all grown up beautifully. They looked super, super sharp. I agree. George looked very grown up indeed. But I really feel, in particular, Charlotte actually this year. And of course, I always come at things from a more fashion perspective because that's my area of expertise. But I think this year... There has been a little bit of a sea change and Charlotte has been pushed out much more just in the spotlight. It just They're doing it slowly and obviously in absolutely the right way. But we've had the coronation and um, we've had a few other moments. Um, you know, she joined her dad to wish the Lionesses good luck for the World Cup final, for example. She was helping out um, her mum very recently with the baby banks. I know that the other children were there as well. She had her Wimbledon debut this year, her first Royal International Air tattoo, the Troop and the Colour, another first for her. So we have seen her gain much more visibility this year. Her coronation outfit was obviously absolutely exquisite. And I think it's sort of her coming out here, really. I think we're Mm. going to see her grow. I mean, there's even several websites dedicated to her own wardrobe. There are many more dedicated to her mother's immaculate wardrobe, but she's getting quite her own fashion following and um, and with good reason. She's a very well-dressed young lady. And as you say, she took centre stage in the picture, didn't she? She was sat right at the front. The eye naturally goes straight to her, I think. And if anything, mm. the, heir, the heir of the future, uh, George, was kind of on the side and Louis was on the other side of her. And she was yes. almost the, the centre of the whole picture. Now, yes. the... Other thing I wanted to ask you about is Kate's, so she had her Christmas carol service together at Christmas at Westminster Abbey, huge event for her now. Um, I think it's it is third year and this year it was right in the middle of a massive kind of scandal where she'd been named in Omid Scobie's book and I'm fascinated in whether you think that affects the outfit choice on the day, knowing that you're going to be in the spotlight to that extent and all eyes are going to be on you. How do you, like is crisis dressing a thing? Crisis dressing is definitely a thing. I mean, don't forget that her outfits, Kate's wardrobe is planned at least weeks in advance, but there are always several different options. And I think one of the things that we've seen this year, probably more than ever, is how the royal outfits and Kate's in particular are really grouped together very purposely. So if she has um, a royal tour, for example, or let's say an event such as Wimbledon or something, she'll have several outfits that all coordinate to make that, if you like, the Wimbledon chapter. Um, and the carol service was no different. I mean, she wore that beautiful ivory. I thought she looked exquisite, actually, in that a sort of entire monochromatic look, ivory from head to toe. Um, really, really beautiful and polished. But of course, White has many connotations, um, and we've seen Meghan wear it 
quite frequently. I know we're going to get onto, onto her shortly, but there's that's quite interesting at the moment. She's still wearing quite a lot of it. But for Kate, um, white evokes innocence, purity, um, and sort of all, there's almost an angelicism to that mm. colour. And she looked just a glorious vision um, in this beautiful, full white look. And I do think that this could have been a purposeful move to position Kate as innocent, uh, nothing to do with it, because there was obviously all sorts of things flying around at the time that she had, you know, was saying fairly unsavoury things about uh, their baby, um, which was very difficult. But what is interesting is that it wasn't her only ivory look. So she for the so it was like a little chapter again in her year. So for the promo for the service, she wore a lovely white self-portrait suit or an ivory suit, and then she was seen um, a few days later in a Reese ivory Ronette jumper doing the whole baby bank uh, thing. So that was that little chapter. So they all were planned as a group of outfits, and I just think that's really really interesting and. I know the wonderful Elizabeth Holmes, who is fantastic at also commentating on all of this royal fashion, calls it the slideshow, um, that Kate's outfits resemble a slideshow because they're designed to be looked together. And from a styling perspective, I would add to that, um, they're like a theatre production because the royals, their, their public uh, appointments and royal visits and things are just that, a production for the public. They are staged just like a theatre show would be. Um, and they have these little chapters and stories throughout them. So if you look at the whole year for Kate, she's had her various moments. So there's been a, a whole tone of suits running through it. And this really has been the year of the trouser suit or the pantsuit for our yes. American listeners. Um, but there's also been little chapters within. So uh, if you look at her summer, for example, she went to pink and she wore a whole series of pink dresses which was a very sort of softer feminine look for her which was appropriate for the summer and tied in with the the love theme of the wedding in Jordan um etc and she looked just beautiful and then we had the green outfits for Wimbledon um the three outfits that she wore the key ones there to Wimbledon were all different shades of green so that was her little Wimbledon moment so we have this um, it's like a, a movement, if you like, and beautiful colours and outfits coming in. And also similarly with silhouettes, she had um, a whole blazer era going yes. on for a couple of weeks. We'd see her in nothing but blazers. And then we had the turtlenecks and long suits. So it all just adds into this story. It's all woven in very purposely to create this whole theatrical production because we know that every single outfit that Kate in particular wears, as she is the most in the spotlight, is so contrived in a good way to speak everything that she cannot. The language of clothing for the royals is unparalleled, unsurpassed in terms of their communication. Um, And it's just been an absolute masterclass this year. And so going back to the pantsuits, do you think that the pantsuits are here to stay? Because it felt really like that was quite a, a sharp shift and that it was all pantsuits for a period of time. Do you think that episode will be departed from or do you think 2024 will have a lot of pantsuits in it too? I think they're going to stick around. It's interesting, Megan's worn quite a few as well. So it's the, then there's an element of all, who who is influencing who here, if anybody. Um, but, you know, we had this moment with Kate 
um, at the beginning of the year, or it could have been the year before, when the palace announced that we are no longer going to, or they are no longer going to release all of these outfit details for every single occasion. So it was sort of a, right, everyone, come on, um, we'd like to refocus everyone's efforts onto, or attention, onto the work that the royals are doing, which obviously is very, very important, rather than the frivolity, if you like, of which bag she's carrying and which mm. which shoes and everything else. Um, I think those efforts were slightly in vain because there's still so much attention um, based on Kate. She's an international fashion icon and probably the most photographed woman in the world and for great reason. Um, but the suits were in line with this decision because it was business occasion. Right. It's about business. So I think what's happening in the day is she's dressing for the job in hand. And I know there's a lot of criticism that her looks are a little bit conservative and dare I say boring. Um, and from a fashion perspective, I understand that. And I, I suppose I would agree with it in a little way, but it, that's sort of the point. It's yes. meant to be a little bit boring because we're not meant to be looking at, at the fashion. It's immaculate. It looks wonderful. Don't get me wrong, but we're meant to be focusing on what she's doing and then what she's been doing just to sort of balance it all out because she's a young woman who um or a middle-aged lady oh god what do you have between young women and middle-aged women there's got to be something <laughs> anyway 40 something i'm gonna go um <laughs> Oh, let's go back a couple of a couple of words, um, and then we have to balance that out because she's a forty-something-year-old woman, similar age to me, who clearly loves fashion. So I feel like she has her fashion fun, or she has mostly in the evenings with her her evening ensembles, and we've seen some fabulous mm. looks, you know, from the Baftas, for example, and the wonderful variety performance recently. I love that look. So she still brings out the vaudeville those big red carpet moments but she's very dedicated to her role she's taken it incredibly seriously from the get-go and she wants to do the right thing so it's all about her work which is utterly devoted to so the pantsuits are going to stick around Yes. I mean, you talk about um, you talk about where we're looking, but I suppose it's also what we're writing about. Us as journalists spend a lot of time writing about Kate's fashion, and maybe she would rather that we spend a little bit more time writing about the projects themselves, of which Shaping Us has been a big one for her this year, which is her project looking at early childhood. And I, I guess she might have got to a point of thinking, look, if this project is going to be taken seriously, she needs to get the journalists writing less about her clothes and more about the mm-hmm. actual subject matter. Absolutely. I mean, again, I'm all about the fashion, so I don't think I'll ever stop writing about her wonderful fashion. And there are so many people. She's so inspirational to so many women because she's a normal woman. She's very slender, yes, but she has, you know, a normal figure. She's very tall and she has lovely long legs, so she's got fantastic attributes. But she still has, she still dresses for her figure. She's got a long torso, for example, which she takes into account when she dresses. So that's why she often wears higher waisted trousers which look fantastic on her and balance out her longer figure and she sticks with this fashion formula which has become a fashion uniform and she sticks to this fashion formula which has become this fashion uniform for her which many business people and very successful people if you look at i don't know steve jobs or simon cowell for example a style uniform for work can be a very very good idea Mm. but for her it's all about that silhouette which is so defining her little waist, adding a little bit of volume on the bottom half in terms of wide leg trousers or an A-line skirt, which balances out her slightly broader shoulders 
And then she always has what I like to call the fashion fun on her top half. So that's where she'll get to play a little bit and perhaps use different necklines or eye-catching jewellery, something like that. And so let's get down to uh, to the serious business of this section of the podcast, which is what are your favourite looks for Kate there? We'll do Megan shortly. What are your favourite looks for Kate from 2023? So there have been so many. I and mean, I had to think about it just for a second because obviously there have been so many trouser suits. You know, the first yeah. thing I think of when I think of Kate this year is all those incredible trouser suits. And there have been some beautiful ones. My very favourite, I think, is the the red um, Alexander McQueen that we've seen her wear several times um, and of course just picking back up on that sort of theatrical um, simile really in terms of their wardrobe being like a theatrical production um, it, it's not really a rewear it's more of a reprise of mm. the outfit which then has a slightly different connotation because of course each outfit has this special meaning but I just think it's such a glorious colour it's very festive and it really suits her and that trouser suit is cut to perfection um you know little subtle differences in the lines of that lovely blazer with low cut double breasted really sharp shouldered and then those beautiful trousers which moved and draped so beautifully it's always in the fabric um with that lovely sort of flirty wide leg it's just a dream so that's my favorite trouser suit um but we have seen some other glorious outfits one that really sticks in my mind is the bafters which was quite controversial. And although not my favourite version of Kate, it was a favourite fashion moment because it it felt like a fashion moment. Mm. Um, She really did have a break from all the business, the business side of the suit attire. And she got fun. I mean, I love the fact that they were inventive enough to rework that Alexander McQueen gown. Um, It was a a reprise of that gown and they changed the shoulder to make it look different, which I thought was just wonderful. So now, and such a great example to everyone where sustainability and fashion, as well as, of course, the cost of living is a factor. Um, But then she made it a real moment with those oversized statement Zara earrings. They were fabulous. And then the black opera gloves, which, if you remember, were very controversial. Yes. So this is just to give a little bit of a description of the outfit. So it was one shoulder and it was yeah, a big kind of big white flowing gown. But then with these black gloves that almost she is, I feel like it's kind of swan like almost. Oh, yes. Swan Lake. There's a ballet reference. I know what you like. Yes. It's very white. But then with these incredibly elegant black arms, because the the gloves go all the way up the arms to the sleeve of the, the dress. Yes. Proper evening opera gloves and this was particularly pertinent and it felt like and also that evening I just remember she and William looked very happy they were very flirty on the red carpet we had a little bottom patting moment (laughs) from Kate to William and William sort of touched her shoulder and they were much more touchy-feely than we Mm. often see them and that was interesting so she just they just looked so happy together um and it was a fun look and the opera gloves were particularly uh, pertinent because it had come straight off the back of fashion week which happens twice a year we just finished fashion week in london 
And the opera gloves are big on the runways. They've been a big mm-hmm. fashion story um, that season in particular. And, and they've filtered down now to the high street shop. So you're seeing them, people that are brave enough to go for it are embracing the look. So it felt very fashion forward because it was quite a, it was high fashion, you know, that the contrast of those black gloves with the white dress, it was quite a look and the Zara earrings. To be honest, I do wish, I, I love the high street factor, but I do wish you'd gone for a more sustainable brand or maybe mm. a more independent brand for such a big moment, but I could see what she was trying to do. So that one really stuck in my head. Obviously the coronation. Yes. I mean, what a, what a weekend. Her fabulous Alexander McQueen cape with the beautiful headdress over that plain white dress. I didn't love the dress, but it wasn't really designed to be on show anyway. It was all about the drama of that beautiful red, white and blue cape and that beautiful bespoke headpiece that wasn't quite a tiara um, and wasn't quite a fascinator, you know, and then matching with her daughter and those stunning shots. They have been slightly airbrushed, I think, but that's fine because they are, they're going to be immortal. Um, Or Kate looking out of the window of the carriage with the rain all over the window. Oh, yes. um, And you just see her face looking through and, oh, aren't they absolutely stunning? Yeah, absolutely incredible pictures. And to Mm. look so iconic at such a historic moment, I think, is is huge to pull off. Um, And as you say, she, the dress, the the reason why the dress is, is, I guess, less important is because of the regalia. You know, she she had all of that regalia on top of it. And so, as you say, in a way, you almost kind of can't really take in the dress as a look, because the Mm. regalia is what shines. But the headpiece was incredible. And obviously, Charlotte had a matching one, um, which was a nice piece of symmetry as well yeah absolutely and then in terms of fashion moments um again it might not be well it's definitely not my favorite outfit but it has to be spoken about because it's it's a fashion moment was the welcoming ceremony of the korean state visit south yes. korean state visit where kate was resplendent in red um but it was such a look the Catherine walker kate over the dress with the bow pulled through so that huge bow on her chest again very fashion forward because bows are very very fashionable right now so I love that sometimes obviously she's very classic in terms of her dressing but sometimes we get to see a slightly younger fresher mm. more trendy if you like Kate you know it just sort of peeks through um still utterly timeless and in some ways I didn't love it because I felt like it was so voluminous she was slightly dwarfed. Her slender figure was slightly dwarfed right. by all this fabric and this big hat and everything else. However, that said, you couldn't miss her. The silhouette of the outfit was amazing. And we had all that drama again of the cape flowing around her. And then she gets out of the taxi. It was not the taxi, the car. Goodness gracious, she'd never take a taxi, would she? <laughs> uh, no, no. Um, she gets out of the car and you see this flash of her beautiful legs. And then she walks up the steps. So it's just actually a little bit too much leg, really. So it makes a fabulous Kodak moment. And yes. she's just immortalized forever I think it's going to be such an iconic shot I absolutely I just agree love it. I absolutely agree. Mm. And do you know what? It was slightly risky, but I actually, I, I think good on her, you know, good luck to her. I think you've got yes. to take risks sometimes in life and you don't get those kind of iconic moments if you don't 
Do you think as well that she has, in the kind of autumn, been trying to be bolder with colour? I mean, she had that purple suit as well, which is another very striking mm-hmm. colour. Loved that purple. Yeah, really loved that purple. The colours, as I said, have definitely always been sort of grouped together. We have these stories, you know, that, that and her fashion is a story, as is the colour that's just woven through the year. And different movements, different feelings are meant to sort of evoke different well, different movements of Kate's work and what she's doing. Mm. Um, but also it's, it will reflect the season. So that that beautiful pink era that we saw when she went to Jordan and sort of surrounding that village and there were some beautiful dresses there. And of course we saw that sparkling Jenny Packham number reprised recently for the banquet at the palace. Um, but that was a soft feminine, lighter colour for the seasons. And then of course when autumn winter draws on, we go back to the neutrals and some of the deeper colours. So I love the fact that it just doesn't stay the same. It's constantly moving and changing and evolving to reflect what's going on in the world. And I think that's really an art and and they do it so well at the palace. They really do. Now, I have one more Kate question before I want to move on to Megan. Um, Nikki Haslam, who is an interior designer and worked for Charles, and he also is reportedly friends with Camilla, said Kate, William and the Wales kids should wear less blue. He rather mean-spiritedly suggested that they're uh, colour coordinating in blue. He put it on a list of things that he considers to be common. Now, arguably, you could say the entire (laughs) concept of having a list of common things is a contemptible uh, idea. However, what do you think? Yes. Yes, you agree it's contemptible, or yes, you agree that it's common? I think that's a load of rubbish, Nikki Haslam. Goodness gracious. I um, No, I do not agree in any way, shape or form. They look beautiful in, in blue. For goodness sake, one particular shade of blue is called royal blue. So it's there for a reason. It is the royal family's favourite colour. The Queen wore it most. Camilla wears it most. Kate has worn it most. If you look back at all of their outfits and... Not only is it a beautiful shade, and there's obviously many, many different colours of blue in, in that palette. You've got the whole spectrum from the light sky or baby blue down to the deepest, darkest navy. But blue as a tone or a colour evokes trust, responsibility, professionalism, calm. So it's a really good colour. Um, communication as well. It is the colour of communication. It represents our throat chakra. So it's a perfect colour for the royals to wear on many, many occasions. And I would say actually to the royals, if in doubt, wear blue. So um, I think the exact opposite of Nicky Haslam, although I love his work. (laughs) Right now, moving on to Megan. Now, obviously, we have fewer outfits to choose from because we see Mm. so much less of Megan than we do of Kate. But I I have a couple of uh, my favourites, but I want to know what you think. What are your favourite Megan outfits from 2023? Megan was interesting, wasn't wasn't it really? I mean, I think the first sort of thing to note about Megan is that we have just had neutrals virtually all year. So having been very vocal about reluctantly wearing neutrals or sort of indicating that was the 
case in the Netflix documentary because yes, she didn't she, want to stand out too much. Yes, she, she suggested that she wore neutral colours because she was fearful of overshadowing other members of the royal family. So in other words, she mm. kept it. The implication was yes, that she exactly. kept herself in a box. Yes, exactly. So you sort of expect Meghan to come out and break free of those, if you like, royal shackles and, uh, and have loads of fun wearing every single colour of the rainbow and expressing her true self, which would you would imagine would be a colour lover because neutrals you would imagine weren't her thing because she sort of indicated that in the in the documentary etc but it's very interesting to note that there has been very little colour this year in fact I went through her outfits or, or many of them anyway and there's sort of there's literally less than a handful of yeah. colour moments for, yeah, yeah, for yeah. Megan I will note that one of those reasons so before I sort of dive into analysis and talk about my favourites is because if we're going to do colour palettes for a moment, and I really embrace this idea, I know it's a little bit old-fashioned, but I think knowing your best colours is very useful in fashion and Megan is a winter, so she suits the deep, dark, jewel tones, but also she's one of the few people that can get away with wearing black or pure white. So, you could say that a lot of those neutrals are because, you know, black and white, we've seen a lot of that, a huge amount of it actually this year. Um, it's because it just looks great on her and, and it really, they really, really do. She looks fabulous in those colours. But there are also many jewel tones such as, you know, deep emerald green, sapphire blue, um, mm. magenta, royal purple, all those colours would look fantastic on her. We've not really seen them. We did see a sort of an emerald green, didn't we? Was this um, the Coltfire infi- dress at the closing ceremony? Yes. Yeah, which actually was possibly my favourite Megan look of the year. Oh. That the, it too, I loved the teal Colt Gaia at the Invictus closing ceremony, and I loved the gold Johanna Ortiz dress um, in New York yes. in May. And neither of them were that was the one I was going to pick. Yeah, well, exactly. But neither of them were this oh, colour palette, Italy. were they? I loved the Johanna Ortiz gown. So that was probably my very favourite look. It was sort of a an antique gold, so it wasn't strictly winter, but um, she got away with it because she actually looked stunning, really radiant. And one of the tricks with colour is that if you're going to wear a colour that's not your best colour, you want to show a lot of skin, your natural mm. skin and décolletage, which obviously with that number being strapless, she did. And she looked stunning. And to me... It felt just so glamorous. It felt really Bond, Bond girly, but it was still somehow paired back and felt natural. Um, so it was still very much Megan's style, which is sort of a more of an understated, I call it California cool. You know, she is mm. a natural girl. Um, although having said that, she does love her big, big banking designers. Um, you know, we've seen her in a lot of Dior. This year, yes. I've seen her in a lot of uh, Valentino and Carolina Herrera. Um, so she does like her big names. But I just thought this look was really, really beautiful. And another one of my favourites was a neutral, um, which was another white, which was the off-the-shoulder Altazura pantsuit that she wore for the Archwell Foundation Parents Summit. Oh, yes. Um, which I thought was, again, very dramatic, yeah. beautiful. It had this big panel uh, sort of neckline all around, off the shoulders, stunning off-white colour, um, really suited her. But it was just it was just a beautiful creation. And here's and again, something that you um, can't buy in a shop <laughs> as well. 
is the the poise of the way that she sat in those pictures. Have you seen the ones of her sitting and Harry sitting? And she just looks, she looks kind of statuesque and Harry almost looks a bit Ed Sheeran. He's kind of bumbling something, is saying something at the time. That, that's really funny because you know what a great outfit should do that. That's the power of a fantastic outfit. So she obviously felt wonderful in that and she looked wonderful. So she should have felt wonderful. So then that changes your whole posture. You know, if you, if you feel like you look great, you stand taller, your spine is straighter, you smile, you know, you're just with it. It boosts your confidence. And that was a, a cracking outfit. But with Megan, as a stylist, as a celebrity stylist as well, I am desperate to get my hands on her because <laughs> so many of her looks have been creased and crumpled. Her fabrics need a tweak. Um, and, you know, mini trousers and things. I know she wears linen and obviously that's going to happen and that's part of the charm of that fabric. But there have been others where she does look, um, she's sort of caught her on camera looking really quite crumpled. Mm. Um, so I'm desperate to... <laughs> I'm desperate to work with her and change it up. Just in case you're listening, Megan, give me a call. (laughs) The other thing to remember about Megan is, and she comes under a lot of criticism, I think, for her style, which I think is a little bit unfair. Um, Yes, I think she needs to work with a different stylist and look at the fabrics and, and things like that. But she has got a very short torso, particularly short torso, um, in contrast to Kate, who has a long torso, which has other styling considerations. But um, Megan's trick, uh, figure is a little bit trickier to dress. So that's why she often goes for the Bardo style off the shoulder look, for example, because it helps to lengthen that. Um, and other, she often goes for a sort of a halter neck look as well. That also lengthens your torso. So that's why she makes certain decisions but sometimes things don't sit quite right on her and also she should probably go not for a super high waist because that also shortens her torso further and you've got lovely long legs so she doesn't need to lengthen them particularly um it's all about creating that balance between the top and bottom half of the body and sometimes i think her waistlines are a little bit too high for her so um i don't know who she's working with and what she's doing but um as I said, please not give me a call if you need me. And so Harry and Meghan's year has been very much a year of ups and downs. And obviously Spare came out and then they had a really hard time in the polls after that. They crashed not only in British public opinion, but in US public opinion too. And then some of these big moments in their year have really been opportunities when they were under a huge amount of pressure to come out, look successful, look like they weren't damaged, look the part, basically. Do you think Mm. that, for example, the Johanna Ortiz and perhaps the Colt Gaia in Invictus, do you think it did that for her? Did she nail it? I'm hesitant to say that it did. I think her wardrobe has been actually just that, hesitant this year, you know, hence the neutrals. She hasn't come out all guns blazing. I think that would have been the wrong thing, PR-wise, anyway. She has been quite restrained um, and played it quite quietly, which I think is probably a sensible thing to do, hence the neutrals. Um, So it's sort of this tentative step now back out into the world, bearing in mind things haven't really gone the way they had hoped. They They look fantastic as a couple together. Um, I think her fashion's been lovely. I think she needs some sort of rebrand. I know I said this last time we chatted, Jack, but I think that she sort of needs to pull back, 
have a look at her image and just try a whole different look, a whole different spin to try and start things new, which would help everyone move on from this mm. difficult chapter um, and few years in their life. So I would suggest that they went back to the drawing board and tried something different. Now, on the subject of, in general, trying something different, there's been a lot of talk about Megan rebranding herself in the kind of lifestyle space or returning, you know, uh, bringing back the TIG, her lifestyle blog. Do you, Obviously, one of the kind of biggest things about her is her fashion icon status. Do you think there is money in this field for her, and should she go down that road? I wish the best for her. I think she's had a very difficult time. I, I know it's a, a real touch to litmus paper to lots of people who still feel very strongly about the whole breakup and separation from the royals. But yeah, personally, I think why not? I, I think that we know that all of her decisions haven't perhaps been the wisest, but we are all human. We are, we do all make mistakes. She, wants to do good in the world. She has this need within her to to change the world for the better. She's made that very, very clear. And if this direction is a way that she can express herself and perhaps have more influence on various charities and causes that she wishes to support, then why not? I wish her the best. Okay. And in terms of how she then goes about doing it, uh, do you think that her fashion and her looks at the moment are accessible enough to ordinary everyday people or would she need to kind of switch up in order to start wearing brands that people can actually afford to buy? She's mixed it up a little bit, doesn't she? So I know we had some some more high street style brands, particularly with the Invictus uh, Games this year, but she is a real fan of her big, big go-getting mm. designers like, as we said, Dior, Valentino, Carolina Herrera. Um she likes her you know, expensive bags and things. And I, I get it. I mean, goodness, who doesn't? How lovely. I'm torn here because there's part of accepting who you are and not apologising for it. Yes. You know, they've got a bit, little bit of extra money than most of us. Um, if you can afford to, or if if designers want to gift her things, which obviously happens, or give her discounts or send things via, you know, on a, on a PR loan for her to wear, all of which happen <laughs> very frequently when you're in the media spotlight, then she should wear them. And I think, you know, who are we to criticise uh, her? She has access to those beautiful things. So why not enjoy them? We can't. We should enjoy her wearing them and appreciate that from that perspective. However, there is the other argument that, you know, perhaps if it's all the really glossy stuff, um, it's going to be difficult for the mere mortals, normal people like you and I and, and the listeners to perhaps relate to her as much as we could do. And one thing that Kate does very well, and I know we're always comparing these two women, and I think we probably always will, um, is she does seem to get that tone right in terms of mixing up the accessible mm. and the, the glossy, the glamorous. Um, so I think Kate could do a little bit more in this area to embrace the good stable of household names that they have over there in the States a little bit more. Okay, right. Stay with me. On that note, I'm going to take a quick break. But before I do, don't forget to rate and review The Royal Report on Spotify or Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your favourite shows. When I'm back, we'll talk about the finale of The Crown and its extraordinary wardrobe. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. 
Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows firsthand how VR training platforms like ForgeFX can help meet the demand for skilled workers. Anywhere you go look, there's going to be a shortage of welders. VR training can help welding students learn the skills they need to begin and advance in their career. The beauty of virtual reality is it simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Explore more stories like Alex's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to the show. Miranda is still with me, and we're going to talk about some of the fashions in The Crown. Now, I actually went to The Crown's finale party, um, which was a lot of fun, and they had a whole load of the outfits there. You could even kind of browse the wardrobe. They had like a load of the looks on hangers that you could flick through. But going through all of these outfits upon outfits upon outfits, one thing that struck me is that actually, in a way, and I love the gowns, I love the big dramatic looks, but one of my favourite looks that they actually had on show there was actually the Princess Diana athlete look like the harvard jumper um Mm -hmm. which they had out which i loved um what do you think what's your favorite kind of aspects of crown fashion uh definitely diana definitely um i mean can i just say what a fantastic final series that was i i was hooked i I was probably last week so i took advantage (laughs) of snuggling in bed and literally just gobbling up the whole lot and i thought it was so beautifully done um and actually in so many ways such a tribute to the family yes um and i think it really got you thinking about obviously some things were were sort of from imagination because we don't know how the conversations went or how certain things would have unfolded but it really got you thinking or got me thinking anyway about the pressures that they face and, you know, different dimensions of their life that, that they face. And actually, I, I've just got a whole newfound respect for them. I thought it was so, so beautiful. But from a fashion perspective, all I could look at <laughs> was Diana. I mean, goodness. she And it just reminded me what a fashion icon she was. We have Kate these days, and she undoubtedly is a a global fashion icon in her own right. But actually, Diana just had that star quality Mm. that was that sort of, you know, not very tangible. You couldn't really put your finger on exactly what it was or how it was. But the way she wore things, the way she put things together um, was just in a whole league of her own, which is why, or one of the reasons why the world became so obsessed with her, the media so obsessed with her, because she just looked amazing. And they recreated this, I thought, so beautifully. Even just the swimsuits, you know, something as simple as a one-piece bathing suit and um, we enjoyed several um in, in the crown you know no, notably the the blue one the pale blue one these sort of scoop back the drama of that was the 80s cut that they used then for the, the poster of her sitting on the diving board on the yacht yes. um i mean it was just a simple bathing suit wasn't it but it looked incredible um and i think they represented diana as well so well here she was in her new era she'd left behind her trials and tribulations. She's got her newfound confidence. Um, she was somehow glossier, better groomed. Mm. She sort of had this halo of 
polish around her and glamour around her. Just everything just oozed glamour. I suppose she was trying to be free in those scenes, wasn't she? Is I, I guess is also part of the because the crown is so brilliant at that symbolism that it it creates. Oh, and this was her. She, as you say, she'd left the kind of confines of the palace and its duty and its rules. And this is her trying to be free on uh, Mohammed Al Fayed's yacht in the south of France. Just beautiful. Yeah, wearing nothing but a bathing suit, but of course hounded by the press. And then we had that other, uh, the leopard print um, bathing suit, which was quite a moment and very symbolic. Obviously, this all happened in real life as well. Um, But the the timing of that particular um, bathing suit was very pertinent. And the fact that it was leopard and then she agreed to go and be photographed by the press, you know, in a bid to have a little bit of peace and quiet for a little while, which did work for a short amount of time but you know wearing leopard print when she was herself being hunted if you like down by the press there was a lot of symbolism there um and it was just so beautifully done and just her wardrobe on the yacht in general i mean there was one moment they were watching the movie um she was with her boys and and dodie was on the yacht and she was just wearing a casual but stunning military jacket just thrown Mm. over her shoulders whilst eating popcorn and you know i was literally drooling at these clothes (laughs) every outfit was an absolute icon in its own right now, you also mentioned Kate, who is new to this series in part two, played by Meg Bellamy. And of course, they recreate the fashion shoot where she supposedly kind of captured Prince William's heart. And she uh, that um, kind of see through dress that she she wore on the catwalk at a University of St. Andrews fashion show. Mm-hmm. And I thought she they did. really injected drama into that. Probably, if anything, more drama than perhaps existed even in the original image itself. Mm-hmm. They amped it up a little bit, didn't they? I think definitely. And it, it was a great episode. Um, but yes, I mean, re- relatively faithful to the original from what we can all see and from the photographs. Um, it was it was obviously meant to be a skirt, wasn't it, in the, in the first place? But Kate chose to amp things up a little bit and, uh, and wore she's a dress with a little bit of underwear underneath. And it certainly caught William's attention and she looked fabulous and her leg bore out and all the rest of it. So, again, it was a fashion moment. Um, and I thought they did it really well. And so going back to the the kind of series as a whole, you mentioned the finale, and it I, I actually thought there were a couple of ropey moments in the series. For example, Diana's ghost appearing. I thought I thought it was yeah. I was slightly surprised at Harry's character being this kind of horny teenager um, who <laughs> pulls out a condom in front of the Queen Mother and asks William whether there are any girls who are worth at, um, at, at university. But that <laughs> finale episode, and particularly the last scene. Now, spoiler alert. But, um, spoiler alert for anyone who hasn't seen it but she basically walks into heaven was uh, how I yes. read it it was I mean what incredible filmmaking Peter Morgan you know I, and I love how he does these sort of um, montages you know every episode he, ha- he often has these two sort of parallel storylines going on and of course we had that we had the the wedding um, and then obviously the Queen contemplating her death and just the way they did it. And then they brought in the coffin and there was Imelda Stoughton sort of looking at the coffin that obviously wasn't there. And they brought back the younger queens to talk to her and reason with her. And then, yes, as you say, she walked off literally into the light through the chapel. Um, I was in bits and pieces. I, I sobbed and sobbed, but I thought it was so well done. 
And, you know, on a personal note, it made me realize how much I miss her. And actually, as I said, I think at the beginning of this, of our chat, what a mother she mm. was to the nation, as as the character of Charles says during that episode. Um, it, it was... It was just exquisite. And the relationship between the Queen and Prince Philip as well, you know, he knew that she was, or the story went in the crown. We don't know this in real life, perhaps, but he knew that she was contemplating perhaps of stepping down and letting Charles take the throne and announcing it at the wedding, um, which he then declined to do. But he, his love and their love for each other, their relationship was so strong. Um, and then her speech at the wedding as well was so funny. Um, and you can really imagine that happening. Really witty, really sharp. She's still absolutely on the ball. Um, and then, of course, Charles and Camilla's love for each other. That was very palpable and very sweet. And I think, again, garnered, so certainly for me, you know, even more sympathy as to everything they've been through, you know, growing as a royal family and moving into this new era where they were permitted to marry. And actually, once the Queen had made that decision, how happy she was for them and pure mm. joy and perhaps that hers and Charles' relationship hadn't been as close and it sort of all came all right in the end, didn't it? So just perfect, perfect. And it's just made me more of a royal fan than I've ever been. I loved it. And I'm probably going to start the whole series again from scratch. Yeah, watch it all from scratch. Great (laughs) idea. Good binge watch. No, absolutely. Um, They've got some moments of quite intense drama as well. And obviously it is drama. It is fiction. It's not real life. And who knows whether this reflects a feeling that was ever experienced. But obviously it has that very dramatic bit where William turns to Charles and basically accuses him of being to blame for Diana's death. And now he may well never have said that to Charles and who's to say whether he ever thought it. But I I suppose that there is an element I mean you know Diana's brother Charles Spencer was very scathing of the royals in his eulogy at Diana's funeral mm. so there is an element of reality in the framing there that this was a really tense moment for the royal family and they have William mm. articulate that but it's such like it, you kind of just feel your soul being churned up inside you I think when he says it it was really yes it was that sort of saying what you're thinking you know verbalizing that thing that you think you could never say and you know, in terms of reality, I, I would imagine that those sorts of thoughts had passed through the boys' heads at some point, whether they dismissed them and sort of came to their senses and thought, no, 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 that's ridiculous. But mm. or, or they dwelled on them for a while. You know, every, everyone is human. And of course, they've been through so much. And I think that's what we were reminded of again with Diana's death and everything going on. That family had been through so much. That that Anna's horribleness that the Queen refers to in the first part of season six in her speech. Um a very, very tough time. Um and those boys in particular. So I think it's perfectly understandable. And I think they dramatize those moments beautifully. Um I know there have been a few moments that have come under a little bit of scrutiny and criticism from the press, but that's what the press do. They're there to whip things up and perhaps well, that's true. put their on it, you know? <laughs> I, can <say> from, <laughs> I can say from experience. <laughs> well, Miranda, thank you so much for joining me. I'm going to leave it there, um, but we must have you back on the podcast soon. I would love to, and I can't wait to see what 2024 brings from the Royals. I'm sure it's going to be a great year. Right, I'm going to take one more quick break, but before I do, a reminder to follow me on X. I'm at Jack underscore Royston, and you will find all my latest stories for Newsweek. When I'm back, a look ahead to 2024, including a return to the spotlight for Prince Andrew. 
Professional welder Shayna Ford used VR training developed by ForgeFX to hone her skills as a welder. The more time that you spend practicing it, that's what separates a good welder from a great welder. VR training can help students like Shayna repeatedly practice specific skills. Virtual reality definitely helps because the more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Explore more stories like Shayna's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. Hi everyone and welcome back to the show. 2024 is approaching fast and while we may not have a coronation, a wedding, a birth or a jubilee to look forward to, that in a way just puts even more pressure on the royals to take a look at where they stand with the public and with society and push for the things that really matter for them in 2024. Harry and Meghan are still in Operation Rebuild after a difficult year this year. They will likely have new Netflix content out, and Prince William and Kate clearly know they have a finite amount of time now in which to cement a legacy before the crown brings with it greater restrictions on what they can achieve. So look out for big high-profile projects from them. Earthshot, which is William's climate prize, that continues for William. Um, Shaping Us for Kate, which focuses on early years care for preschool children. King Charles, though, has the small business of running the monarchy on his hands, and first up in January, he has the rather uncomfortable prospect of his brother Prince Andrew returning to the public eye. Um, New documents from a libel lawsuit between Virginia Jeffrey, Andrew's original accuser, and Gillian Maxwell, um, Jeffrey Epstein's one-time lover and co-conspirator, are going to be unsealed in early January. So, in other words, there was a defamation lawsuit between them, and there's a whole load of paperwork that was kept secret, kept private by the court. Um, Virginia Jeffrey has been working behind the scenes to try and get these documents made public, and she has won that campaign, and they will be released. And among them will be 40 documents from a woman called Johanna Sjoberg. Now, she made another separate, uh, or interrelated, but separate allegation against Prince Andrew. She said that he gropes her while holding a puppet version of himself, which was uh, the puppet was in the style of a 90s British comedy show called Spitting Image. It was a very kind of famous political satire show uh, back in the 90s. Um, So these documents alone, you know, from Johannes Sjöberg, they could be tricky and potentially damaging for Andrew. But who knows what else could be there buried in the paperwork? look out for anything, for example, that undermines Andrew's version of events, as that really, I think, is the unresolved piece of this puzzle. We have heard a lot about the allegations, mainly from Virginia, but also from Johannes Joburg before. Andrew obviously protests his innocence, while Virginia has accused him of sexual assault. So I will be going through those documents with a fine tooth comb, looking for anything uh, on record, particularly also from Gillian Maxwell herself, that contradicts Andrew's version of events. Meanwhile, for Charles and Camilla, Andrew is just one of a range of issues facing them in 2024. They also have frosty relations with Harry and Meghan to think about, as well as declining support for the monarchy um, among Britain's youth in particular. Now, of course, I will be here to talk you through it all. And on that note, I hope you all had a very Merry Christmas, and I hope you have a Happy New Year, and I will see you in 2024. And that is it for this year's episode of The Royal Report. Be sure to join me every week when I visit the latest royal headlines, embark on some royal deep dives, and riff on all things royal. Until next time, I'm Jack Royston. Thank you for listening, and a curtsy to you all.